Well, good morning. Um, as Father Aaron said, I grew up in the Czech Republic. Um, if you don't know where the Czech Republic is, it's right about smack dab in the middle of Europe. Um, it's actually been called the heart of Europe before. Um, it's surrounded by mountains on all sides, and it's known for its agriculture and music. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And we're, we're overjoyed that we are being called back uh, to be able to serve the church through theological education. Um, growing up in the Czech Republic, I have some of my fondest memories of growing up in the mountains. It's something I miss so much about living in Chicago. <laughs> it's just flat. Um, but we lived in a valley with mountains on all sides, with dense evergreen forest, golden fields of wheat, and wild mushrooms ripe for the picking. These mountains are old and strong, and the way to navigate them is by following the well-worn hiking trails. The tallest mountain in our mountain region is called Lisa Hora. Uh, that means bald mountain. And the reason it was called that is for its noticeable lack of any greenery on the top. So it looks kind of funny. Uh, I first climbed Lisa Hora when I was about 12 years old and been many times since. It's always a challenge and it's always rewarding to get to the top and look out at all directions and see just the beauty of God's creation. But as spectacular as the view is from the top, the most rewarding part of the journey for me was always located just below the summit. Now picture this with me. Just before you breach out of the dense forest to ascend the bald top, your attention might be drawn to the sound, the faint sound of trickling water. And if you follow your ears and kind of get off the path a little ways, you might be drawn to a crisp, cool, refreshing mountain spring. Trust me, after hours of hiking, this water tastes like the best water in the world. And if you lap up the naturally flowing water, you're revived and given strength to make that final ascent to the top. We've all experienced something like this. We've all strained like a trained hiker, experienced thirst, and having found a source of refreshment and revived for the journey ahead. We all need water for life, and it's most appreciated when we recognize our need for it and admit our thirst. Except, what if we aren't able to quench our thirst? What if the next time I climb up Lisahora, maybe with Judah once he's grown up, what if the mountain spring is dried up? What if I arrive there and there's no more water flowing out? What do I do when I've strained so hard and lack refreshment? What do I do when I have no other resources and there's no end to my thirst in sight? Many of us have experienced this kind of thirst in our spiritual lives. Many of us will and most of us, many of us have and most of us will experience a thirst for the presence of God. Just as water sustains our physical life, God's presence sustains our spiritual lives. And without God's presence, 
we may feel like we are withering away. I remember as a, as a teenager listening to one of my peers share a testimony, and she just was so excited and so filled with joy because of her experience of God's presence and love in her life. And as I listened to her talk, I had no doubt about the theological truth of her claims, but I couldn't relate. I had never experienced God's love like that. I realized in that moment that I was thirsty, that I didn't know how to quench my thirst. It was painful to hear of another's experience of God's closeness and yet feel so far from God myself. Since then, I've had seasons of feeling closer to God, feeling his presence, but just as many days, if not more, where I've felt far from God. There are many days where I am spiritually thirsty and am unable to quench my thirst. I suspect that you've found yourself in a similar situation. Maybe you had a tangible experience of God's presence in earlier years, but since haven't really felt his closeness. Maybe you've never doubted God's existence, but if you're honest with yourself, you've never experienced God's love. Maybe this has been a hard year, and you've been straining so hard in your, in your job and with your family or in ministry, and you desperately need God to show up and refresh you, give you strength, but you just feel like he's forgotten you. Perhaps you've grown bitter and cynical in your thirst. Or maybe quite the opposite, you've become a shallow optimist, unable to properly name your thirst. Is there hope for us in our thirst? As we open up the scriptures this morning, as we look at Psalm 42, I first want to let you know that you are not alone. You are not alone in feeling alone. Probably the person next to you has felt that way. And definitely the, the psalmist of Psalm 42 has felt that way. We need to learn to talk about these feelings of spiritual thirst. And Psalm 42 is a great way to learn the language. Psalm 42 is a testament to the real pain and loneliness that comes when God seems hidden. In fact, this, psalm, this psalm's author was himself a spiritual leader in the community, the one we might expect to be the closest to God. But in this psalm, he gives access to his private pain so that we might understand, so that we, we might have the words for our own thirst. He composes a lament. Not just any lament, though. A lament with no resolution. So that we who are in a place of unresolved pain can have hope. I want to tell you that there is hope for your thirst. But the question is, where can that hope be found? 
you turn to your programs on pages 8 and 9, or you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm 42. And we're just going to walk through this psalm together and learn how to pray it as a congregation so that we can have words for when we are hopeless in our thirst. Uh, so Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is structured into two verses with a repeated refrain. It's kind of like most of our uh, modern worship songs. Pretty simple. Uh, a verse, a chorus, a verse, and a chorus. As I mentioned, this is a lament. Uh, a lament, as we'll see, is a complaint in faith. But unlike other laments, where there's a series, of, there's the beginning, there's a complaint, where the psalmist addresses his, his frustrations, his pain to God, and then there's a switch, and something, something clicks in the psalmist's mind where he now understands something about God's character or about God's way in the world, and that leads him into praise and thanksgiving. Not so with our psalm. It's almost as if this psalm could be prayed over and over and over again. It gives voice to unending frustration, unending thirst. And it's a testament to the perseverance of the psalmist who will pray this uh, until God shows up, even if it may take the rest of his life. Read with me. Verse 1. As a deer pants for slowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come appear before God? We'll stop right there for now. We see right from the beginning this idea of thirst. And the psalmist is going to use this water imagery to highlight his thirst throughout the psalm. But right here in the beginning, he likens himself to a deer, a deer who is straining, who is searching for a source of refreshment, a source of life. The psalmist's soul pants for God. Now, in the Hebrew, this word for soul is nephesh, and in Hebrew, the nephesh is actually the totality of one's being. So it's not just your spirit that is actually yearning. It's actually everything about you, from your mind to your heart to your spirit. Everything is thirsty, and everything is searching for refreshment. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. The psalmist knows where refreshment can be found. God's name is used four times in these two verses. But he doesn't quite know how to find God. When shall I come appear before God? He's yearning for God's presence to quench his thirst. Verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Instead of receiving 
a living water, a source of refreshment. The psalmist must instead seek nourishment in his own tears. And as we all know, that is not a, a, a good way to be refreshed. <laughs> Day and night, there's an unending, this is an unending type of frustration, unending type of pain, unending trial. It's all-encompassing. And in fact, his tears point to this bigger reality that he is far from God. His tears actually metaphorically speak to him and taunt him with this taunt that will be repeated again. Where is your God? His tears highlight the fact that he is alone. There's this internal struggle, the voices inside his head that keep telling him, your God doesn't care. Your God is far from you. You're all alone. Let me share with you a story to illustrate this point and highlight this experience that the psalmist is drawing us into. This is a story of a young woman named Teresa. Teresa's heart was captivated by the love of Jesus at an early age, at an age five. And soon after, she discovered that she had a calling to be a missionary. Her youth and her, her early adulthood were characterized by incredible zeal and joy. And then at age 32, after spending several years in training, Teresa made a vow to utterly give herself to Jesus. Quote, this is her words, to give God anything he may ask not to refuse him anything. On one trip through India on the train, the realization came to her that Jesus was calling her to serve him radically by ministering among the poorest of the poor. She later described how Jesus spoke to her in inner stirrings and even visions, calling her to be his hands among the poor, the sick, the dying, the little children of India. And she accepted this mission and was a faithful, faithful servant of Jesus until she passed away at age 87. Maybe you can already guess who Teresa grew up to become. Uh, this is Mother Teresa that we're talking about. Her ministry to the poorest of the poor in India is well known. But what you may not know is that the majority of Teresa's adult life was characterized by a spiritual darkness. In fact, it wasn't soon after her experience of God's, uh, of Jesus' call on her life that she felt abandoned by God. In letters written to her spiritual mentors and directors, she disclosed feelings of doubt, loneliness, and abandonment. God seemed absent, heaven empty, and bitterest of all, her suffering seemed to count for nothing. Quote, this is her words again, just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, God not really existing. End quote. Teresa struggled with this spiritual thirst for the rest of her life. And the psalmist is 
in a very similar situation. We'll see that he had a, a close experience of God's presence earlier on in his life. But now he feels far, so, so far, and in so much pain. Let's read verse 4 together. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. As the psalmist is pouring out his soul, he remembers the better days where God was not so far, where God was accessible in his temple, where God dwells. And not only did the psalmist experience God's presence, but he led others into God's presence in worship, in festivals, in praise. But those days are long gone now. And in verse 5, in the beginning of verse 6, we get the refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist fully recognizes the darkness of his situation. But he also recognizes the hope for the future. Even as he is tormented by these inner voices that keep telling him that God has abandoned him, he battles back with, with truth. He talks to himself. Why, why are you cast down? And he encourages himself to hope for the future that again I shall praise him. And yet the question still remains, what does this hope look like? Where is hope for our spiritual thirst? Keep reading with me, beginning in verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep, calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. As the psalmist recognizes his state, that is soul is cast down, it's turned in upon itself, it leads him into another sequence of remembering. And this is an active sort of remembering. This isn't just the, the kind of remembering where an idea pops into your head. This is, this is very intentional, looking back to when God seemed closer. Now, before the psalmist reflected on his experience as a leader in God's temple, now he moves outside the city of Jerusalem into the well-watered land of the River Jordan. This is a land well-nourished, well-nourished by God's water, by God's river. As we see in verse 7, they're, they're his waterfalls, his breakers, his waves. And they overwhelm the psalmist, thinking about what it could be like to be refreshed by God again. It would be overwhelming. 
And as, God, he, as the psalmist sees God's hand in nature, it gives him a little hope for the few, his own future and his own spiritual struggle. Now, the first two lines of verse 9 are, to me, the most paradoxical and profound statement of this psalm. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? It's in the middle of this paradox that we start getting answers to our questions. Where is the hope in spiritual thirst? Hope is found through lament. And this, this verse, these two lines, are the key for us this morning into understanding what lament is supposed to be. As I mentioned earlier, lament is a faith-filled complaint. It's complaining in faith. It's fully recognizing the despair of your situation and going to the one who can do something about it. In fact, in complaining to God, you are probably doing the most faith-filled thing that you could do. The psalmist does not hide from the reality of his situation. But neither does he let go of his rock. He's caught between the two poles of faith and complaint. And that is where hope is found. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Being cast down is not a reason to cast out God. Continue reading with me. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? What was once the psalmist's private thought now becomes a public taunt. Not only does this phrase ring in his ears, but it now rings all around him as well. And that's really painful. It's, it's one thing to feel far from God just in your, in your own self and realize that maybe things aren't exactly the way that you would like them to be. But it's another thing for someone to walk up to you and say, God really seems far from you. I don't really know if God's hand of blessing is on your life should maybe do something about that. Where, where is your God anyway? And to the psalmist, it's a deadly wound. And the, the only remedy for this wound is God's presence. And so we get the refrain once again. Verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. One commentator kind of rephrases this refrain 
And I think it helps kind of uh, bring it right to us. She puts it this way. How depressed I am and growling. Yet I wait for God and still expect his rescue. How depressed I am and growling. Yet I wait for God and still expect his rescue. This is the tension that we must learn to lean into. A brutal honesty about our situation, alongside an unwavering trust in God's character. This is the heart of lament, complaining in faith. Even though this psalm has no resolution, the psalmist can't quite let go of God. And I would argue that God can't quite let go of the psalmist either. God's name is peppered all throughout this psalm. His presence is imbued in this lament of his absence. A deepened trust in God can only come through pain. Not despite it, but through it. Psalm 42 is not a prayer for those who seek quick relief. This is a prayer for those who are settling in for the long haul with God. So where is hope for our spiritual thirst? The hope for our spiritual thirst is found through lament. Biblical scholar Ellen Davis says this about hope. Hope is not a foolish optimism. In order to have hope, we must first see the depth and dimension of the problem. Yes, hope is not telling yourself, it'll all be all right eventually. And neither is it a cynical realism that just says, this is just how life is. Hope leans in to the complexity and pain of life, trusting that despite all evidence to the contrary, God will show up. In the words of the psalmist, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The hope for our spiritual thirst is found right in the midst and right through lament. So what does this hope look like? And how do we hope as we lament? We hope by leaning on the one thing that is stable, our rock. We lean on God, our rock. With the psalmist, we trust God as our rock, while also fervently pleading our case. God, you are my rock. Why have you forgotten me? You lament. You complain in faith to the one who cares. I need this psalm. My own days of spiritual thirst are certainly not over. And I trust that you need this psalm as well. 
Let us learn to pray it together. Our calling is to plant ourselves at that dried mountain spring. We may be thirsty, but we know our thirst can only be quenched by one person. And Jesus' words to the woman at the well are for us this morning as well. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a fount of water springing up in eternal life. Let us persevere in our thirst. Let us seek the one who can quench it. Let us lament in our loneliness, clinging to God, our rock. And above all, let us have hope, which is strengthened through lament. May God grant you and me a deepened trust in him, even as we thirst. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.